0: Then we're going to go into verses 1 through 7, so it might be the longest message of the series. Uh, Look on the bright side. You're getting it out of the way first. Um, but, But in studying through these four chapters and in looking at this book, I've titled the series, Grace for Ruth, Grace for All. J. Vernon McGee says of this book of Ruth, that it's a love story without using the word love. Someone else has called Ruth the Cinderella of the Bible. Many have said it's the greatest piece of literature ever written, in their opinion. There are 100 verses in the book of Ruth, and we're going to see Ruth's experience of grace as she goes from a pagan girl to entering into the covenant people of God, the covenant people of Israel. Along with the grace of God that we're going to see throughout this book, we're going to see the redemption of God. He's a redeeming God. We're going to see the love of God. And we're going to see hope in God. four chapters, and as we begin, we're clearly going to see the blessings of walking closely with the Lord, and in a different way, in a very clear way, we're going to see the devastation of walking away from God. As I studied this this entire book, and looking through this first message, it It just tears me up to think of the people who have walked away from God and considering how dangerous that is to do, to fall away from the Lord's will. Well, for our first message tonight, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. And we're going to see departing full and returning empty. We're not going to talk a whole lot about Ruth tonight. We're instead going to be introduced to the family of Elimelech. We have a family here in these first verses. They lived in the days of the judges in the promised land among the people of Israel. We have Elimelech who was husband and who was dad. And then we have Naomi who was wife and who was the mom. And they had two sons. They had the sons Malon and Chilion. And they took unto them wives, Orpah and Ruth. There's the place of Bethlehem, Judah, that is going to be mentioned. Bethlehem means the house of bread. And Judah means praise. I mean, there's a lot of good things to call the promised land and to say about the promised land. But there's also going to be a place that we're really going to focus on a lot tonight, and it is the place of Moab. Moab is not in the promised land. That Jordan River that the people of God crossed by faith to come into the promised land, you have to go back across and over the Jordan River, and out of the Promised Land, and go east of the Promised Land to find this place of Moab. The people of Moab are called the Moabites. There's nothing good about Moab. There's nothing good about those Moabites. Moab is the name of Lot's son, who who came about by a relationship between Lot and his daughter incestually, and so as we think about these people there's not much good to say the moabites they were filled with pride the moabites broke every law they could they had immoral wicked wicked relations with one another they were brutal they were violent especially to the children of israel the Moabites attacked the children of Israel during their time of their wandering in the wilderness. The Moabites hated God. They hated the ways of God and wanted to have nothing to do with God. They could have had the grace that we're going to see, that grace that came to Ruth. God wanted to give them that grace. God wanted them to say, wanted to save them, but they didn't want it. God would and they wouldn't. So they became a wicked, godless nation. God calls them in the 60th Psalm in the 8th verse his washpot. And that's likened to the idea of the remaining water in in some type of vessel or tub after a foot washing has taken place. Moab was Israel's, was God's washpot. He says, Moab was reduced to the, to the lowest level of slavery that they could possibly get to. And it was by their own choices of rejecting the Lord. That's not what the Lord wanted for them. But that's what they chose for themselves. I kind of expound on Moab for just a minute here so that we can gather our minds about concerning what these Moabites are like and what the the atmosphere and the place of Moab would be like and what it stands for. Because we have this man, Elimelech, who made a decision for his family. He was an inheritor of the promised land that God had given them. He was in the promised land with his family. He was in Bethlehem, Judah. House of bread and praise. And he took his family and he made a decision to go to Moab. That's... That's turning your back on God to do that as an Israelite in the promised land. And that's what he did. I mean, they backsliding, you'll say. They they were backsliding. And anyone can backslide, but it comes with a high price to pay for doing so. And oh, how we're going to see that through the beginning of this book. But there's grace. We're also going to see that there's grace for those who will repent and come back to the Lord for forgiveness. Oh, there is grace for the people of God. He is a restorer of those who will turn back to Him. Let's look, let's read verses one through seven and then break it down. It says, Now it came to pass. In the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons, and the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah." And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelled there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah." We see some hard circumstances in verse 1. Right there in the beginning of verse 1, you see that in the promised land that there was a famine. The food became limited, the food became scarce, and hunger started to spread throughout the land. So you could say there was a meal famine. Famine. There wasn't much food in the land. But but you wouldn't just call this a meal famine when we think about the whole story and what's going on with Israel here because we could call this a moral famine as well because Israel got involved in the worst sin, they were involved in idolatry, they were partaking in drunkenness, in division, in all types of immoral relationships, one with another in all kinds of ways, they were guilty of unbelief and doubting, and the list goes on and on, so you could call this a moral famine as well. But you might not just call it a moral famine. You could call it a missionary famine. Because God doesn't just send the family of God out on missions. God was known to send a famine out on a mission. He either sent a famine or He allowed a famine. And many times it was for, well, it was for different things. It was for correction for the people of God. Or it might not have been sin at all. It might have just been for completion of the people of God because God's always working in His people looking to grow and to change and make His people worth something. Make us to where we have treasures in heaven. Make us to where we have something of eternal value when we get there. So we're going to be worth something in heaven as God's doing a work of completion in us and He's making us worth something now that we might live and be used for His glory. But a a famine, a famine came along. He does that sometimes. He sends famine in different ways today. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything or make a list. We can just make a list of ourselves of some hardships that, that we could face, of some difficulties that we could go through. And we could think ourselves how in our own ability, we try to sometimes take charge to fix those things rather than going to the Lord. There was a famine in the land, and it was making it difficulty for some of the people of God. And Elimelech had a decision to make in this. Look, when a famine comes our way of some sort, then just as it does now, when, when God has allowed it, or when God has sent it, we know it is ultimately for our good. We've got to know that. Elimelech, that wasn't on his mind. That wasn't his way of thinking. Alimelech did not respond correctly to the famine that came about in his life. How, how about you and I? You know, hate to throw out a news bulletin that something difficult's coming, but look, if if you're not in if, If you didn't just come out of a storm, look, you're in in that storm. Or or if you're not in a storm, a storm's coming. Storms of life happen. When a famine comes our way, how are we going to respond? Because I ask that because we learn how not to respond by looking at Elimelech. We see some hurtful choices in the end of verse 1 through verse 2. Breaking down what we just read there, let's just break it down into three mistakes that Elimelech has made when the smooth road he may have had in the promised land started getting a little rough. He made some mistakes. First of all, he left. He he left the promised land. He left Bethlehem Judah and he went to you remember the the horrible description of Moab, he went to Moab and he took his family and he led his family to Moab. He made a decision to do this. Oh, how the excuses can pour out of us when we find ourselves in a place and we want to throw some blame somewhere when sometimes it's going to be on us. And we need to acknowledge that. That's our first way out of that and and back to what's right. To acknowledge that. He left the house of bread. And he left the house of praise. And here he goes to a place that he knew that his God despised. You know, there there wasn't much bread going on in the promised land. And, and maybe there wasn't a lot of praise going on in the promised land. Maybe Elimelech said, "Well, well, God's not living up to his name for for this land here. If he said that, he's not living up to his name because Elimelech's name means my God is king. Look, when God is truly our king, he is king in the valley just as he is king on the mountaintop. He is always king, but with Elimelech, facing these hard circumstances, he didn't see him as king he didn't see how god was going to do good things in the midst of hard circumstances you know also valleys don't last forever for god's people you know we might come out of one valley and into another sometimes but god's valleys don't last forever he give even if the valley stays he gives victory so there's not defeat that is going to be ongoing for the people of God. Famines began and famines ended. And Elimelech, hey, he was doing better than some. We're going to talk about someone named Boaz later on down the road and and he had a relation to Boaz who was who was mighty and godly and and he wasn't doing as bad as some during this famine that was in the land, but he went off to a place that, that God would not bless. And he knew that God would not bless in Moab. You know, Christians sometimes run off to a place where they can call their own shots, where they can be their boss, where they can live on their own terms and do their own things, but it's never going to be with Peace. It's never going to be with the promises of God. It's called backsliding. And many Christians go there in, 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 in different ways. You know, a famine comes and people try to do something to, to make up for it. And, and, you know, next thing you know, it's causing them to, to miss the worship and, and work of God as they're doing what they can in their own ability to make up for it. Sometimes we have got to be still in the midst of a famine that's going on in our lives and trust that God is doing something great in the midst of it. They've gone off to Moab when things in life things in life start to be pondered that you wouldn't think of doing before. It was out of the question before. And next thing you know, it's kind of like it's not a big deal. When you have convictions that this is wrong and that's wrong, and and there's this little compromising that seems to come into the situation, somebody's headed off to Moab. Elimelech left and started compromising. He not only left, but but mistake number two, he lived. He, He left and he went into the land of Moab. He went and he lived there. And to do that was a clear violation of the Lord's command that He made for His people in the promised land, Israel. It says in Joshua 23, 7, it says, "...that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow down yourselves unto them." And it goes on to say, "...else if ye do in any wise go back and cleave and cleave unto the remnant of these nations even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but ye shall, be, they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until ye perish from off this good land which the Lord thy God hath given you. It was a, an absolute complete violation of God's command for them to do this. For them to leave the promised land was like denying their faith in the Messiah. It was like becoming an apostate to leave the promised land. It was denying the Lord. And though God had a good work that He was going to do in the midst of that famine, Elimelech left. He didn't stay around to see what God did was going to do. The one who gave him his inheritance in the promised land, he left it. and he turned from God and he turned to the Lord, to the world. Going to Moab was totally separating his family from the things of God. I want you to think about what happened when he and his family left the promised land and they go to Moab because they could no longer worship in the temple. They could no longer offer offerings. They could no longer keep the feasts. They couldn't do those things anymore. And he exposed his family to evil. Evil they would have never... We can't put ourselves in a box, but there is evil that they came in the midst of in Moab that would have never happened in the promised land. For instance, his sons took wives, ungodly wives, godless wives. They went and got unequally yoked with unbelievers. Been hard for that to happen in the promised land. But Elimelech exposed his family to, the, to it. And that's what happened. When we're away from the things of God, there's a lot of evil that can take place. I know that you have heard from others as well as I have heard it. Well, I know I'm not in church, but I read my Bible every day and I pray every day, and I'm making sure I do the right thing. You know what's funny about that? There are people who are extremely faithful to God, and they're in ministries, and serving in ministries, and leading in ministries, and they're always in the house of God, and, and can sometimes struggle with faithfulness to these daily things, that they say they have an A-plus straight across the board with God on, even though they have left the things of God and are not around the things of God. That's just hard to believe when someone is in modern-day Moab and they are keeping up with the things of God well. It doesn't add up. To walk away from the things of God is always a downward spiraling decision. And oh oh, the amazement we would have at the reasons people say that they walk away. We've got to count the costs of walking away and dropping out of the worship and the work of the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong when I say this. Sometimes God scatters the flock, and, 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 and every now and then it is true that someone feels led, that God's moving them on. Absolutely, absolutely can happen. We, no, none of us can judge that. God knows that. But to drop out of the worship and work of God... You know, when people do that, they're not planning to go off and do something wrong. Somebody's talked to wrong, and they just can't get over it, and they leave. Somebody's treated bad, and they just can't get over it, and, and they leave. And and many leave thinking they're thinking they're better than the people of God who have been treating them bad and stabbing them in the back. They don't plan to go off and live worse. They plan... To go off and I I can live just as fine as around those people that are devouring me. Blah, 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 blah. People don't plan to get worse in their behavior. But they do. Every time. If we walked away from the things of God, we would do things that we never thought that we would do. That's how powerful and how important... The worship and the work of God together is. We need one another. But he left and he lived there in Moab. And then his third mistake, he lingered. It says in verse 2 that they continued there. That means to exist as or become as. It doesn't say, I don't know if, if during the famine is the wrong thing to do, but they, it was just temporary. They were just temporarily going to leave during the, during the famine maybe. Maybe it was temporary in their minds before they left, but they, they didn't know the temptation they would face in Moab. Man, they they lingered in Moab. They stayed in Moab is what that means. Maybe that plan was temporary, but they got into Moab and then Moab got into them. Something I've taught to the teenagers for years, but you know what? We all need it. We've all got to be careful of our surroundings that we dwell in. I love to rub elbows with any human being and tell them about Jesus, but we just can't dwell in certain environments and we can't dwell in in, in worldliness as the people of God. They lingered there. Next thing you know, 10 years has passed and they were far, far away from God. Not all of them made it 10 years, but 10 years had passed and they found themselves far from God. If their plan was temporary, they didn't think about the temptation in Moab. But you know, even today, we would be amazed at the hearts and minds that that might be in Moab today among children of God. You know, there's obviously some that are physically gone from here, from the family of God, let's say here, for, for example as we're thinking about Christians that might be in Moab, they're gone and they're, they're either not in church or they're not in a scriptural church. I'm not saying this is the only church and the perfect church. There are other many good churches. I know many good churches. But, but if someone who has gone on has not found themselves in one, they've gone on to Moab. I said a minute ago that that when someone says, I feel led to go, I know that's abused a whole lot. It, It may be true for some, but for others, I'm afraid that means they're headed off to Moab when they just feel moved somewhere else. You know, when God allows something painful to pass into our life, we may not say we're mad at God, we may not leave the church, we may faithfully sit in the pew, but it may be that our hearts and minds have moved off to Moab. And that's a dangerous thing that we need to be careful about. Maybe maybe something stressful happens. And something that we just... We're just upset that it happened. And next thing you know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night attendance... Becomes just Sunday morning attendance. I could, I could ask, you don't have to answer because I know your answer. If I ask you, who's more likely to go off to Moab? Someone who's here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or just Sunday morning? And 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 we know the answer to that. That means someone's headed to Moab. We can not leave, but we can be here with a critical spirit and a grudge toward, toward something that someone has done wrong to us, but we're the ones that will go off to Moab with that critical spirit and that grudge without even leaving our place. That's where we'll find ourselves mentally. That's where we'll find ourselves in our heart. And look, this isn't for... This isn't scouring, trying to hit a nerve. This isn't for pouring salt in anyone's wound or my own. But it's for our good. It's for our help that we might be sensitive to where we are in our hearts and minds. That we might be sensitive to how we're dealing with the famines of life. The famines that come about even in the church in different ways. It's good for us that we might be proactive with God, that we, might, that we might acknowledge, that we might examine and be able to acknowledge where we are. Because Moab is a dangerous, dangerous place. You, you can call Moab anywhere that God doesn't want you to be. You can call Moab being anywhere outside of God's will and God's place. In your life, with, with your church, with your family, with, with job, with, with whatever. There are, there are some who are physically gone and need to return to the house of bread. Not exalting us, but if it's where God wants them. And there are some who are spiritually gone, but physically here, maybe, of course, I don't know. That, that needs to return to the house of bread. That's, that's, just, that's what we gather here. That we have moved off possibly, even in our minds. And it's, as the old preacher might have used to say, it's, old, it's just old hat. It's just routine and old hat. And it needs to be fresh again. And we need to be right with God. In the right place, but with the wrong heart. We need not stay in a place like that with modern Bethlehem Judah, if you will. That house of bread and a place of praise. There's some realization that needs to be done and some confession that needs to be done among God's people. God doesn't want us to make the hurtful choices that Elimelech made. You understand? where We're expounded upon this so that we might learn. But let's look at some horrible consequences in verses 3 through 5. We will find within these three verses that Elimelech died. And then we will find that his sons died. But let's first go back to verse 2 and see a family that was fading. I say that because it says that Elimelech and Naomi and his sons uh, they came into the country of Moab and continued there. You don't just up and leave God's will in a second. It's a it's a slow fade. It's something that slowly goes on that we do not deal with with the Lord, that we do not deal with with others, and and our spirituality is starting to be chipped away. And, And with a mighty God like our Christ, we become weak when we don't deal with that. So, knowing our God and knowing the way He works, this wasn't just a rash Decision of someone who had inherited the promised land. Who had seen the promises of God unfold right before their very eyes. And they went and they took that land. Doesn't add up. The family was fading. And knowing our God. You know he intervened in Elimelech's life to help him out. We all need some help. We all need some help when we're fading. And God doesn't just push us. He wants to help us and intervene. There were signs along the way. We see signs in the name of the meaning of his two sons. One's name meant sick and the other one meant wasting away. And that's exactly what ended up happening. The family was fading. And then the men were missing. Because Elimelech died and his two sons died they were bro- blessed in the promised land they had they were full israel wasn't living for the lord let's break this down they were blessed in the promised land but then israel wasn't living for the lord the famine may have come about been sent by god or allowed by god so that they might repent and turn from their sin but but Elimelech wouldn't. And, and it may be that they died as a result of that. It may be that that's why they died in, in Moab. But the, the men were missing. And then we see the women. They were widows. They were left with complete desolation and three grave markers. That That's what they had in Moab. You know, sin doesn't produce anything good. The Bible... The Bible says that there's temporary pleasure in sin. That temporary pleasure isn't good because it's deceiving. Because it makes people think there's delight when there's really doom and devastation and even death for sin. Sin doesn't do anything good at all. You know, choices are free, but consequences are very expensive. As we see here, as we see here in this lesson. more They're they're more than we're willing to pay. The consequences, when when we look off and we see something bright and blinking and neon lights in Moab, could we just stop and consider the consequences? Because none of us want to pay that. However, we're all going to be tempted through a famine just as, Oh, I'm tired, forget it, I'm gone. Don't go to Moab. Don't go to Moab. Let, let us think about things before making these decisions. Stay with the Lord when things are rough as well as when things are smooth. The things of God must always come first. You know, as as parents, any parents in here, or, or grandparents, it may just be that our children will end up doing exactly what we do so so what do we want to do i i i know that many times our children will go the opposite way of us when we're walking with the lord that very well can happen and may happen and it will happen to people and we think about all the influences in this world but someone once made a statement and I have a hard time really not believing it when I think about it very hard and that is with all of the influence for our children in this world parents will be the greatest influence. I have a hard time not accepting that. That doesn't mean that they're going to go the way of their greatest influence, but, but it may be. That may be a nugget right there that, that parents are the greatest influence for their children. So what we choose may very well be what our children choose. We actually get to leave on a high note and close with a high note. We actually get to leave death and look at a glimpse of light. A glimpse of light and a glimpse of life here tonight in some heavenly changes in verse 6 and 7. I'm going to go ahead and read these again. It says, Then she, Naomi, arose with her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, that she might return from the country of Moab from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread, wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. We see in verse six, the blessing of bread. Uh, We don't know how how Naomi found out about this, but Naomi found out about bread back in the promised land. That the famine was over. Man, look how the Lord helps us. You know, she could have needed to make that decision by just complete faith to go back in the midst of that famine. And it would have been right for her to do so. And sometimes we have to make that decision. But then other times, look what God did, just calling His people home. There, They were flourishing in the promised land again. And it's, like, it's as if these circumstances are saying, come on, come on back home to the house of bread. Come He helps us. Oh, does He help us. You know, there were blessings in the promised land, even in the midst of the famine. It it wasn't just blessings when the bread came back. There were blessings right in the midst of the, the rough terrain of the valley of that promised land during that time. What's an example of a blessing that would be in that promised land during that time? Not the things that happened in Moab, not the things that led the family to different things they were doing that they would never do before in Moab. Think about that blessing of of, of staying with the Lord and not letting the world chew us up. It's hard. I, I don't know if you're meant to just let somebody go when they walk off and go to the world. I, I have a hard time with that. I, I, I have a hard time opening the door for them because of what happens. There's blessing and protection no matter what to stay with God, to stay with His people. If God's people will watch the signs and circumstances, God's going to use them to say, I have all kinds of different bread here if you always stay with me. Famine or no, drought or no. Well, there's the blessing of bread and then the backsliding was behind. I don't know what all attachments Naomi might have had to Moab, but she left them. I've talked to too many people Who know that a situation's wrong, but they just can't sever the attachment that they've made in 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 modern day Moab. As if God's not worthy of it, if God's not good enough. Naomi let go. She let go of Moab and she went back to the Lord. And the things of the Lord. And so can you and I. You understand that we are being saved from the power of sin. We are being, it's going to be complete presence of sin gone one day, but we are being saved from the power of sin right now. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 1 John 4 4. And sever, sever from those things that hold you back. Somebody needs to sever from somebody else, very possibly tonight whether it just be a friend an acquaintance somebody at work you know it's no good and oh it's going to be awkward to change just the demeanor and the dialogue and the relationship but God's worth it and it needs to change and we can walk away from the Moabs whether it's a person a place or a thing in this life we can let go like Naomi did we see the blessing of bread and the backsliding was behind her and she's back to where She's back to where she belongs. God never saved anybody, planning out the pattern for them to be saved and then to go out in the world and to come back to the things of God. I know that a lot of people do it. I know it's typical, and you might think, well, they just, when it happens, you're like, well, that's what happens with a lot of people. Train your child up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart. There's a probability they'll come back, and that's a common pattern. And they have, but some people think that their testimony is not complete if they're saved and, and, and they don't go out into the world and then come back. They think they have an incomplete testimony. Well, if that's the case, we need some incomplete testimonies today. There are some children of God with them. And we need more of them because God never designed that. He never designed that a child of God go away. He designed to save us and then for us to be here, to live for His glory, to worship Him in spirit and truth. Amen. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. He, he wants us to live our lives with the love, joy, and peace of the Holy Spirit in our lives, showing it to others and living for His glory and leading other people to Him. Not to go to Moab Not to go to Moab. Moab robs us of all of those things that I just said that God has a purpose for us in. Moab simply robs us of those things. In verse 21, jumping ahead, it says that when Naomi left the promised land, she was full. And when she came back to the promised land... From Moab, she was completely empty. I mean, she was blessed in the present when she was in the promised land. She had a bright future. But she lost it all in Moab and ended up with three grave markers. The danger and the disaster of leaving the things of God. And going out to this world. We, we, there's, there's something that, that some Christians somewhere need to let go of. And count the cost of keeping it. We need to deal with the difficulties and disturbances in our lives, in our, in our church. In, in every aspect of, of our being. And look at the value of what we have. Somebody walks off for a little difficulty and oh, the treasures and the preciousness of what is left behind. We need to consider that. There was a young man that was saved right over there where Becky is about six or seven years ago. I had no idea the Lord was saving him. But all of a sudden, he's fretting and he's stewing and he's uncomfortable over there in his seat. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he said, I need to be saved. And he said, he said this, why is it so hard to let go? Because my life is a mess. It's all wrong. I want out of it. But it's all I've ever known. Look, the devil does such a work and that flesh is so ugly that people will hold on to Moab Instead of coming to the house of bread for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and maybe that's someone here tonight. Look, if, if, you're, if you're scared of what God has for you in your life, His will for you, for Him to take your life and to do what He wants, if you're scared of that, you, you may be in Moab and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I could go on and on with the scenarios, but, but the twisted things that, that happen is we just hold on to what we know is wrong when there's saving grace and there's rescue in the Lord Jesus Christ just by faith. Will you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight? Will you take a look at Moab and all that Moab offers and realize that you have a home in the house of bread? Heaven can be your home. That you, We've heard evangelistic messages lately. And the, the message, the, the question Sunday morning is not, do you go to church and you heard about God and made a profession of faith? But do you know God? Because if you don't, it's death in Moab. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous to delay. It's dangerous to be there. It's dangerous for you. It's dangerous for your family. It's dangerous for your children. Would you be saved tonight if you have never trusted in Jesus? We're not going to have an invitation. We, we don't need one. Because if the Lord's saving your heart, I doubt you'd leave here until you... Till you celebrated with someone else and confessed it and told. Well, I told you this would be the longest message of the series, and and I, I kept my word. Well, no, I haven't. We haven't had the rest of them yet. But but I <laughs> but I know we're past normal. But I'd hate to keep a clock on the things of God. Uh, but I, but I love you tonight and glad to be with you and uh, looking forward to this.